This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Henry Jasek is joining us, professor of political science at McMaster University. He is with us now. Henry, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Okay, my pleasure always, Scott. All right, first let's hear what uh, Maxime Bernier had to say about creating his new pil- uh, political party, and I want to ask you uh, your thoughts on that. Hang on. All the people who came in Canada, they were coming because of our Canadian values, and we must put the, the focus on that like we did in the past. So it is not because, I'm not saying that people who are coming today, they are not sharing Canadian values. I want to be sure that the people who will come in the future, they will always share Canadian values. So Henry, what are your thoughts on the new political party created by uh, Maxime Bernier? I think it's going to be a stronger party and and a problem for the conservative the regular conservative party than people think uh he has support we know uh, in the leadership uh, race he had support of nearly a half of the delegates i think the conservative base is probably a little uh uh you know uh, restive with uh Andrew Scheer, because uh, he's, you know, he, he doesn't seem like he's, ap- uh, you know, able to really to uh, take on Justin Trudeau and get a good lead on him. So uh, Bernier, I think, can appeal to uh, many people in that base, and I think we're going to have a situation where we may very well see the conservative, you know, b- a base sort of split in two between these two parties, especially in writings where they've got, you know, good candidates, and they have a tradition of, you know, uh, third party or other type or or conservative support in the past. So that would be Quebec, of course, uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and B.C. Maxime Bernier must know that. He must know that that this will only be a distraction away from the conservatives. Uh, How does he justify this? Well, I mean, he's very ambitious, and he wants to be leader, and I think he's figured out he can't be leader if he stays inside the conservative party. So, Does he think he can be leader by doing it this way? Well, uh, if he can be strong enough uh, to to weaken the conservative party and out, outflank them with the base, uh, he could do what uh, Preston Manning did to the uh, right. progressive conservatives. So, so we have a lesson here uh, that doesn't go back, you know, very far with Preston Manning and and the and the Canadian Alliance. And they they ran the piece in three elections. They ran the PCs right out of business. Good point. Uh, all right, let's talk about what's happening this weekend at the Ontario Legislature. Uh, the Premier has uh, has has called the House back. Talk about what's going to happen and and how this all progresses. Well, I, I assume you're going to try to get it through in the, over the weekend. Try to get the you know the new bill with the notwithstanding clause invoked, and to get and then to get the lieutenant governor to sign it. So because right now the criticism of of the premier is really that he's making a mess of the uh, leader, you know, the election process in Toronto, yeah. and so he's under tremendous pressure to try to. You know, avoid blame for you know anything that goes wrong with the Toronto election at this point. Uh, so he's just trying to ram it through as quickly as he can. The, the interesting thing will be to see what the um, what uh, what the Toronto uh, City Council and uh, John Tory do as a result of this. Uh, you know whether they will try to go to some sort of judge and say, "Hey, can we get?" I don't know if this is possible in the U.S. It certainly would be, but to get an injunction saying, "Hey, more thought has to be given to this before it actually goes into effect." Um, I don't know whether that's legally possible. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, there may be there may be something here, you know, that they still might be able to block it. And they and and blocking it for even a little bit of time, I mean, almost forces. Uh, the Ontario government either to say we give up, which I have to imagine that Ford saying that, or to postpone the election until next year, which may have to happen at some point. And uh, p- 
people are going to be uh, very upset with that. So it's really turned into a real mess for the, for the premier, and I, you know, just, it's hard to see how he's going to come out of this looking looking good. We've certainly seen uh, the opposition reaction to this. What about in the rest of the province? Do Ontarians care? Well, um, not as much as the people in in Toronto and or, and the group a group of people in Toronto. So even it doesn't. I don't think. Well, it adds to the notion that he's a bully and he pushes things through without right. consultation. There were no committee hearings. I mean, first of all, the uh, argument's going to be he doesn't have a mandate to do this because he never talked about it during the election campaign. Then he calls the legislature into session and he pushes it through without allowing committee hearings and allowing the public to come and say what they think about it. So he's violated, you know, at least one convention about, you know, if you're going to do something drastic like this, you should talk about it in the election campaign. Then he violates another convention where he doesn't allow committee hearings so the public can sort of say what they think about this before it goes through. So that that that's I think that will affect certainly some people outside of Toronto, and and for the people who are very angry inside Toronto, this is something of course they'll never forget, and they're going to be very motivated to do whatever they can to to hurt his party in, in the future and any other conservative that comes in front of them. So you know you you. You can't get it. You you know you can look at certain issues and say, well, the majority wants supports the premier. Uh, but the thing is, you when you make intense enemies, you build up what political si- scientists sometimes call a coalition of minorities. Yeah. You build up one group after another who is really angry. Mm-hmm. They're a small group, but then you add them on. Now that that almost always happens, you know, over a ten to fifteen year period, and that's why we often get you know a government thrown out of office. Uh, because even if it's doing the same sort of thing it was doing in the beginning of their reign, is because they build up this coalition of minorities until it's too big, and they they all these this coalition can agree on is we got to get rid of this government and put in some other kind of government. So, but he's he's starting very early on this, and he's start, you know he's making there's all sorts of different groups on all the different type of changes he's trying to make. And he's making them with very intense, uh, you know, um, enemies. What about that strategy, Henry? Like, uh, you know, uh, it's a pretty hot issue. Right. Would this have been just as hot an issue if if not held during a municipal election campaign? Oh, no, no. That would have taken a lot of steam out of it because yeah. the main argument is he's the, the campaign had already started and he was changing the rules in the middle of the campaign. Yeah. Yeah, so that that and, was and so therefore that would, take the, away, that would take away that argument. And if I was his advisor, <laughs> if I was his advisor, I'd say, listen, why don't you just do this? You know, in, in next year, have you know, go through the usual procedures in 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 the legislature, introduce it, so you got Bill One, and you wouldn't have people being thrown out of the legislature out of off of that because that's usually non-controversial. Then you'd have a debate on the principles, which is second reading, and that'll be done, and then send it to committee, and then you allow people to come in and voice how they feel about this, and you run your committee hearings for you know two, three, four weeks. You know, then it then it reports back to the House, and given the fact he has a majority, the end result would have been the same. Would have been the same. Maybe it been it might be tweaked. So sometimes actually these committee hearings actually result in the legislation being tweaked, and in fact being made better. Now maybe not in a big way, but it does. Sometimes they do make the legislation bigger, and at the end of it, what do people say? Okay, we had our say that we recognize he's got a majority. Uh, he's done things the right way, and. Okay, we don't like it. Maybe we're unhappy, but we're not really, really emotionally unhappy. So, what's the advantage to putting this through this way, Henry? What, what where's the gain for him here? Is it the money they're going to be saving over the next couple of years? Where's the gain? I, I don't think that's any of it. Essentially, he's you know, as many people have talked, I don't like to talk about people's motives, but I mean, he he gave it away in the answering in the question period when he accused. Uh, you know, uh, Andrea Horvath essentially of supporting people who opposed his policies in the in, when he was on city council, and he named three people in particular, mm-hmm. some prominent New Democrats. And so, I mean, so he gave away his motivation there. What he really is angry at is the people he had a fight with on Toronto City Council, and he, you know, and he wants to really sort of, you know, show him that he's now in bo- uh, now now uh, now in power. He's now the boss guy, and uh, they're going to have to deal with him and. 
and you know i i think that's pretty clear by by even what he said so you know there's not money i mean the, the it's peanuts it's i mean it's not much money even this you know may not really turn out to save money because you have the same number of constituents and they're going to come and they're going to need services so if you don't have a, a, a elected representative handling them the 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 person who has to cover a whole mp's riding for city matters which is going to be a lot of work because that's you're talking about a lot, way over a hundred thousand people here. They're, he's going to ha- they're going to have to hire assistants to deal with all the you know inquiries and questions and problems that come to, you know to the to the sitting uh, municipal member. So I'm not so sure. You know they threw out twenty four million dollars as 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 saving money, but at the end of the day, I'm not so sure we're going to get anything like that in the way of savings because we are going to have, I think, spend money on staff for these people. Do you think in the end this will play in his favor? Lots have wondered why you would you would spend so much political capital on this issue this early in the game. In the end, is there an advantage to that? I I really don't. I mean, I can't see it because I think the what he the the enemies that he makes and the intensity of those of those enemies and and also yeah. i think also the upset in his caucus uh, which may lead some people down the road to decide they're going to do something else particularly as they get closer to the next election and particularly if the public opinion polls start showing he's he's not he's likely to lose the next election we don't know that's going to happen but you know the effects on his own caucus and his uh, you know and his ability to hold on to his MPPs 2 years 3 years from now going into an election we won't see it until then but i, I I cannot see what the advantage is here. I I I just can't see it. Uh, is he sending a message of sorts? Well, I think he's sending a message to Toronto City Council is that you shouldn't have kicked me around when I was on the City Council and and his. So brother. you think this is a total vendetta? Uh, yeah. Well, I think it's emotional. Yeah, it's not only him, but of course he felt that the these people on this Toronto City Council also opposed his you know his brother when he was mayor, and he's very very emotional. If you say anything negative about his brother. Uh, you know he gets very very emotional. So this is this is something that he was. You know, I I just yeah I think this is this is being run on emotion, not on reason. Will this play in his favor in the rest of Ontario? I mean, and at what point does it? You know, I mean, because no one's get, the average Ontarian isn't going to care if uh, Toronto's city council gets right. shaved. But at what point does the average Ontarian say, you know what, you're spending too much time on Toronto? What about us? Yeah, well, I think uh, you know that, that that may may hurt him as well. Is that people may think that he's so focused on Toronto, he's not worrying about uh, problems in the rest of the province. So that you know, I just I, I just can't see where the gain is for him in a rational sense. If I was sitting down as a a rational you know policy analyst, a political analyst form, I you know I'd add up you know the pros and cons of this. I just don't see where the, where he and whatever he wants to do is going to really be advantaged by doing this. All right, let's uh, let's move on, and uh, I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts on Paul Manafort in the United States pleading guilty and agreeing to cooperate with the Mueller investigation. This uh, at this point has nothing to do with Trump or his campaign, other than Ma- uh, Manafort, of course, was uh, the original campaign chair for his campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that he's agreed to cooperate with the Mueller investigation, what does that mean? Wh- what's going on in the White House right now? Well, I mean, I mean, obviously Trump is very upset and very worried because every time somebody who worked closely with him or is part of his organization and they agree to cooperate, they will provide information that will, you know, be more pieces of a puzzle of what went on and really get closer to him. And, and if he has done things that, you know, that are... Uh, you know that are criminal in nature or can be viewed as criminal in nature certainly by the by the congress then then he's in more you know in more he's in more and more danger so yeah it, having you know having all these people just another person there are so many people who are saying i'll tell you everything i know and of course this just lets the special prosecutor understand what's going on better and have evidence for it and uh, and you know this is a this is this we saw the same thing this is very similar in terms of process of what we saw what happened to Richard Nixon it took about 3 years to put all the pieces together but when they finally did have the pieces i mean nixon was finished and 
we, you know, that's that's what Trump has to worry about. He doesn't have to worry about this year, but he does have to worry about next year because, you know, by the by the time he comes into next year, there's probably, you know, the the report will probably come out sometimes next year, and it will have a lot of information and evidence about what, uh, you know, anything that he might have done. And uh, I, you know, certainly for if you know. Certainly, from the point of view of the of, of looking at uh, impeachment and removal as a constitutional process, I think I think certainly there are people there in the Congress right now that probably thinks the evidence is there. You don't have a majority in either place or three quarters in the Senate, but you know you may have that by next year, and that's what that's what Trump has to worry about. Uh, Trump uh, was alluding to. Um uh, to, to pardoning Manafort at one point uh, and, and talking about Cohen folding and, and, um, and caved and this sort of thing. Right. Uh, what, what happened there? I mean, it seemed that the, the, the president was trying to send, send Manafort a message at one point. Obviously, that didn't resonate. No. Well, he had to send it as a message. He can't actually do it in a sense because if he, if he does it, then, of course, it makes it look like he's trying to prevent information from going to the special counsel. And it's, it's almost... And how can you pardon somebody before they've even been charged? Uh, well, you know, that happened to Nixon. You know, Ford did it with the new, his presidential successor. And interesting, I mean, Ford did not win the next election when he ran against Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, the thing is, people will just assume... That if he does it, he's trying to hide something, an obstruction, and it'll just be looking so embarrassing. And I think the Republicans basically will have to face uh, a basic question. They are going to have a Republican president from uh, 2016 to 2020. The question is, who who, who will it be? Is it Trump or is he going to be Pence, the vice president? Hmm. Who do they want to be as president? And so at some point... After this election, that looking forward to 2020, they're going to, they may very well see we're going to be better off if Pence is the president and we, we get this albatross of Trump off our neck. And so I think that that's a question they have to ask. And, and the worse they do in this midterm elections, the more they're going to be worried about 2020. And they're going to probably, after that, be more likely to be receptive to what what the special prosecutor has to say, particularly if he says, you know, there's enough there's enough stuff here to get rid of him. Uh, what can Manafort bring to the Mueller investigation, considering all of these charges were sort of pre-Trump? Everything that he's up on now. Well, none of it seems to be related. So, what yeah. sort of information well, can he offer the, the Mueller investigation? The charges may not be the same of what information he has. Yeah. So he may have information for which he's not been charged or tried. Which, in fact, it will will hurt Trump, which is, you know, not related to these charges. We don't know, but that, oftentimes that's the case. Is that sometimes that's the case? So essentially, they're saying, okay, we'll go easy on you. These things we got you on two of these things, but we'll go easy on you if you tell us this other stuff you've got on so and so. So right. you know, prosecutors do that in the U.S. You know, quite a bit. You know, they may say, okay, we'll go easy on you on this particular crime. But we know you know something about a previous big crime, uh, which which you haven't been charged with, and you're not going to be charged with, and probably couldn't. But if you give us the information, you'll do it. And I mean, there's cases cases like that. It's amazing what happens in the U.S. where where people start tattling on people who are absolutely shocked because they initially wouldn't be worried. They say, "Oh, okay, my my friend Joe, is it's got been, nothing to do with me." Yeah, nothing to. He's <laughs> he's been charged with a crime. He then says, "Okay, I'll do a plea bargain," and and you say to yourself, "Well, hell, I I was I know I was not part of that crime, so I right. got nothing to worry about." But what the prosecutor says, "Hey, tell me about your friend over there." Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I I've heard I know cases, and I personally I know cases in the states where the person is shocked when the police show up at the door and saying, "By the way, we've got a warrant for this, that, and the other thing." One one area where it's it's it, it does work out in the states, so people should know. Is that people? You may not think any guns in the United States are illegal, but actually, heavy-duty machine guns are heavy. Mm. Uh, they're, they're a class of them are illegal. Mm. So, what some people do, and particularly drug dealers, if they're not using them, uh, they will ask somebody who's usually pretty naive uh, and say, "Can you storm at my house?" So, yeah. when the police come to raid the drug dealer's house, 
and they're looking for for this sort of stuff. They don't find it. Yeah. But if they charge him with something and, and he, he's worried about it, he says, "By the way, I can tell you about a guy who has illegal guns in, in yeah. his house, yeah. and this poor sap who's 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 <laughs> done a favor to somebody." suddenly finds that the police is turning his house upside down and they say, mm. hey, you got four heavy-duty machine guns here. They're totally illegal. And next thing you know, that person's in deep trouble. Henry Jasek has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University, talking from everything from uh, about everything from Manafort to Ford. That's right. Henry, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Okay, enjoy your day. Take care. Right. You- this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Canadians who smoke, work, or invest in the cannabis industry will be barred from the United States, says a border protection official in the United States. To talk more about all of this, Matt is with us, a Toronto cannabis lawyer, and he is with us now. Matt, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate this. No problem, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Matt, I got to ask you, uh, how come we're not giving your credentials and saying he's Matt, <laughs> he's a lawyer, and he's he's dealing in, in, you know, he specializes in the cannabis industry. How come that's all we're saying? Those things are all true. I guess, um, you know, look, uh, everyone, lawyers especially want to be better safe than sorry. And, um, you know, given the topic at hand, um, we go to the States for business on, on a variety of occasions. And, um you know, putting the full credentials out there and, 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 you know, where I work and all those things um, may or may not, depending on who you ask, lead to perhaps uh, enhanced scrutiny. And the last thing we want is to be able to be impeded when we're going across the border to do business. I get it. So, uh, so, are, you, so are you or your employees or, or people in this firm concerned about that? Are you concerned about because uh, we have clients that we do that we will have issues crossing the border? Look, it's a, that's kind of a personal question. So for myself personally, um, no, I'm, I'm not terribly concerned. Um, and now that I've said that, of course, something bad will happen to me. But, um, you know, other people I work with and clients I have are quite concerned. Um, and, um, you know, it really depends on the person as to, as to the level of concern that they have. Me personally, like when I cross the border, I know what kind of questions I get asked in general, as, you know, you do and everyone else does when they cross mm-hmm. the border. And uh, I think the odds of being asked about what I do, you know, you're a lawyer, what kind of clients do you have and what kind of, you know, and we dig down right. to level four or five, I think it's pretty remote. And I think this is going to be sort of a temporary phenomenon. And, and uh, you know, we'll look back not too long from now and think, well, that seems like a kind of a crazy period of time we went through. So, uh, again, you, you don't have to answer this. Um, so if you are crossing the border, and we don't have to make it, you know, personal, it could be someone like you is crossing the border, and they ask you uh, if you are directly or indirectly involved with this or consuming it or what have you, what do you say? Boy, oh, boy, that's the difficult question, right? When, it, when they put it directly to you, um, it's an offense to to it's you know fraud to lie to a border agent, um, and certainly answering the question uh, if if the affirmative is going to put you in the crosshairs, whether it's have you consumed or do you work in the industry, you're not left with a lot of options. Now, this is an American issue, right? They're American border guards. It's American law. It's not it's not a Canadian issue, except right. insofar as it affects Canadians. So, American attorneys that I consult with on this will say, you know, the best option in their personal opinion is if you get to that pointed question, um, decline to answer. And yeah. you, you know, at best, you, you will probably be refused entry right then and there, uh, but you won't be banned. Uh, you know, and at, at worst, you'll be refused entry. And, you know, who knows if there's some list that they put everyone on. But, but then again, what happens next time? Well, then what happens next time? But, you know, I question, and I don't know, I'm no expert in U.S. border issues, but, you know, do they have a list? Because if they wanted to make, um, you know, if there was a list, 
there's a lot of very prominent people in this industry on both sides of the border that cross the border on a regular basis, and um, they do so without without issue. So, um, you know, a lot of people in the industry talk about, do you know anyone personally that's been impacted by this? And, and by and large, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people wonder whether... Um, it's just the enhanced media attention, you know, the article that came out the other day, and it came out, you know, a few months ago, I think, as well, uh, on the same vein, where, mm. you know, all of a sudden now everyone's talking about it, so people are worried about it. This particular law isn't new. Um, you know, nothing, nothing's changed, really, in... in, in well, what has changed is it's now become legal in Canada, so the chances of those border guards asking the question is certainly going to be a lot more frequent than it has been. That's a fair question, but it's been legal in Canada for medical purposes for over 10 years. And I guess maybe that's going to change the frequency with which they ask the question as you cross the border. Uh, although I think in that article they said they weren't necessarily going to be questioning everyone about it. Um, but if the car smells or something like that, then, then that might be a problem. And well, you'd be pulled over anyway. If, that was that's right. if your car yeah. smells, you've got bigger issues than yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. getting across the border. So is there a consistent U.S. policy on this? Because it sort of sounds like it's the Wild West and it's up to each individual border guard what they do. Is there some sort of consistent policy uh, that the U.S. has stated, hey, this is going to be legal in Canada October 17th. We got to be ready October 17th with some sort of consistent plan. My understanding, again, and this is from speaking to attorneys in the United States, is that there's not a consistent practical enforcement plan. There's not, uh, we're going to ask everyone these standard questions, or we're going to ask every fifth car uh, this question, or anything like that. Um, there's sort of a policy in place on, if we ask and, and we get the answer, um, what sort of penalties are involved, and you know, it could be anywhere from a fine to a lifetime ban. Uh, to That's a huge... <laughs> That's a huge, uh, from one extreme to the other. I mean, yeah. is this going to get to the point where business people who travel on a regular basis are going are gonna to get stuck? Is this a case where you're going to hear the story of, sorry, kids, we can't go to Disney. Right. And, and, you know, the whole car's turned around and, and headed back. I mean, do you think we're going to see these stories after October 17? Look, anything's possible. It would surprise me. Um, I, I, like, it just... The political solution has to be there eventually because you've, it's not like we're legalizing crack cocaine and, um, and, and it's a big issue for the United States. Like, it's legal in a majority of the states down there, either for medical or for recreational purposes. And depending on the, the, the mood of the president, they're either actively enforcing or not enforcing at all what's going on within each individual state. We've got a very long relationship with them and a good one. And the, the idea on the federal, between the federal and the state level down in the states when it was Obama was if the states want to legalize it and, and can keep it away from the borders and can keep it from crossing into other states and they regulate it and they take care of it, the federal government will stay out of their business. So, uh, you know, in theory, a similar rationale could apply here at the border, which is, okay, you want to legalize it up in Canada, that's fine. You just make sure your people aren't bringing it across the border or doing anything like that. And we won't, generally speaking, give you guys a hard time right. uh, when, when you cross the border. And again, the United States is moving towards legalization itself. You know, we've got an interesting president there and things change all the time, but the states are all moving towards legalization. And in general, globally, things are moving towards more accepting attitudes and, and more towards legalization. So when I say we look back, we might look back not in the not-too-distant future and, you know, a new president or even this one might say, you know, we're not going to bother with Canadians and what they do in Canada uh, as long as they're not bringing it across the border. Or in two to four years or whoever knows what it is, maybe it's going to be legal federally in the United States. And then... Anyone with a lifetime ban, those all disappear as well. I don't know. That's my next question in the sense that will this turn out to be just such a pain in the rear end that it will speed up legalization in the United States simply because it's too hard to police going back and forth across the border? Yeah, I don't know if this in and of itself will speed up um, legalization in the United States. But if you look at what's happening globally, and Canada's really out at the forefront of this, the, the, you know, the the 
the system is sort of the same and it repeats itself. A country will legalize for medical purposes and then generally that expands into recreational purposes, whether that's in a place like Uruguay or in individual United States. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's spreading through Europe. It's spreading um, in, in other countries around the world. It's spreading throughout the United States itself. So there's a, a movement, you know, if you will, afoot that this is the trend. This is where things are heading. And, you know, I, I don't know if the fact that we're legalizing it and issues at the border will in and of itself be something that will speed it up. But I think there's a push and things are gradually heading in that direction anyway. Well, you know, you look at this this headline in the Star. Canadian Canadians who smoke marijuana legally or work or invest in the industry will be barred from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials say. Uh, you know, it's one thing. You've got a choice whether you want to use it recreationally or such. And uh, and I guess what you say at the border, but in, as soon as you start targeting people who work in an industry which is growing, uh, no pun intended, and especially those investing in it, I mean that's a pretty broad brush. It is, and you know, the, my understanding of the analysis is that obviously, if you're trying to bring it across the border, uh, you've got an illegal uh, substance in the United States, so that's that's an issue. If you're working with American companies um, at a federal level, you know, in theory, you're trafficking legal dru- illegal drugs, you're aiding and abetting or assisting or, or conspiring. Um, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're working in Canada in the industry and you're not dealing with American companies at all, it's, is there a technical argument from the U.S. government as to why you should be admissible, that you're, you know, you're living off the avails or off the trade of an illegal drug that's legal in Canada but illegal in the United States? Sure, but you're not, you're not living off the avails of a drug that's illegal. Uh, you, you know, you're not working in the United States or you're not assisting American companies. It's, it's completely, you know, in my view, irrelevant that you happen to be working up here and, and helping companies up here. Do you? I'm thinking the biggest challenge here, and correct me if I'm wrong, is just in the inconsistency within border guards because there is doesn't really seem to be any set policy on this as it becomes more uh, liberated. Um, you, you can see certain guards saying, you know what, it's 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 because of, of of where we are now. It's just not worth it. You know, they won't even bother with it. Where others who you know, are, are, are sticklers or, or, or against it or what have you, they may take another view of it. Is that, where, is that really the biggest challenge here, is that there isn't a consistency? I, I think that's certainly one of the biggest challenges. We see that already when you cross the border. You know, you get agent number one who says, yeah. where are you going, how long you stay, and have a good time. You, you get the agent number two, yeah. and they're asking you when the last time you were there, how long you stay, where are you staying, yeah. um, you know, giving you the, 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 the ninth degree. So, uh, you know, I think the inconsistency certainly doesn't help because you get the wrong agent or the, the right agent, depending on your perspective. They're going to ask you all kinds of stuff. Some, someone else is not going to ask you anything at all. And the really interesting thing for me is how long is this, is this viable for the United States? I don't know what the most recent statistics are on, on what they expect the usage to be amongst Canadians. But, you know, I've seen studies where they, they expect university studies, where they expect one in two adult Canadians to try edible products, for example, when they're legal. So if you end up with a policy where you ask everyone that crosses the border Mm. and 50% of the adult population ends up getting lifetime bans, well, how's that going to work on a practical level with tourism and with business and with everything else that, you know, that, that we bring to the United States? What can business do? How much of a concern is this for business? Is this an HR issue? In terms of sending their employees yeah. across the border, yeah, yeah, you know, like the it, it's one thing to be going, you, you know, you're taking a your trip down to Disneyland with your family, yeah, and you know, why are you going for vacation? What do you do? You know, I'm 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 an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I do whatever, and are we really going to get down uh, further into those questions? Perhaps more unlikely. If you're if you're driving across the border with a truck full of fertilizer or something mm-hmm. that's not in and of itself a problem. But, you know, or lights, let's use lights for an example. And the border agent says, who's buying them? Well, now you're in a much tougher spot. Hmm. So for, for business, it, it, it can be a much more thorny issue because the, the, the odds of the question getting asked in a way um, that, that will result in a, a, 
unfavorable answer, if you will, is more is more increased, I think. Will business put pressure on government to somehow rectify this or simplify it? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I, I know of people that are already talking about doing that. And, I, and I'm sure there's people that are already doing that. And uh, look, we're in the middle of these NAFTA negotiations. And I part of me wonders how much of this is, um, you know, positioning by the U.S. government to sort of uh, get some leverage and how much of the inability for our government to push back on this issue is tied to the fact that we're in the middle of these negotiations. One would think that at some point, our government has to say to the to the American government, this is crazy. Like you can't, we need to work this out in some shape or form. And whether that's, we'll make sure, you know, you want to impose really serious penalties for people who try to take it across the border, no problem. But come on, like if someone's working in the industry or if they've consumed a legal product in our country, um, you're going to ban them for life? Like, that seems a little excessive. We that's just not workable. We certainly know the key industries in NAFTA that are stalling or, or uh, stalling points, uh, certainly issues with dairy and such. Would this, would this industry be discussed in NAFTA? I mean, it's nothing now, but what could it be? I mean, th- this, could this be the next dairy? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit for, farther away from, you know, being a substantive issue. It might be discussed in the context of, like we're talking about sort of a, a tangential issue, which is, you know, it's legal here, it's not legal there. What are we going to, how are we going to deal with this with, with crossing the border? But in terms of, you know, trades and tariffs and things like that, you know, the U.S. is not in a position at this point to be um, importing, exporting with the state of their federal law. So um, certainly in the future, it could be something. And it's, it certainly could be something you might end up seeing in Canadian trade agreements with other countries where it is or it will soon become legal, um, you know, places in Latin America and South America where the climate lends itself to growing this year-round at a much cheaper cost, mm. and there's an incentive um, for those countries to import into Canada, and depending on whether you're pro-consumer or pro-business, uh, for the Canadian government to either allow that or to protect businesses here from letting those products enter. But certainly there's an international angle to to the product just because, like many products, it can be uh, produced in other countries at a much lower cost point just based on the climate alone. Wow, it's interesting because Canada has such a head start on this. Is it all for naught if, uh, you know, you look so many years down the road when it comes to manufacturing and producing this product, uh, does Canada have a head start on this or, or is this temporary? No, I, I think they've got a, a great head start. And this is one of the, and um, I'm thankful that the U.S. federal government has chose to keep it illegal and will, you know, the longer they do so for business here, the better, because we're looking at these companies here in, that started in Canada and they're moving into, um, into Europe, into Australia, into South America, into Africa, either doing partnerships or setting up their own subsidiaries there and becoming suppliers and distributors in those countries and the you know hope for those co- those companies is that this head start they're getting will put them so far ahead that by the time american companies can start moving into the space these ones will be either so far ahead in their capabilities or you know, uh, so far ahead in terms of their connections and their business relationships that it it really has given them a great advantage ahead of these other countries. What about these large companies, and we know them in Canada and and, and so on and so forth, what about them penetrating into the U.S. market? Are we going to see tariffs on pot in the future? Hard to say. Um, Certainly the Canadian companies and and the CEOs of a number of these companies will, will tell you this publicly, that um, they think America is going to be an exceptional market for them when it opens up, and they're just waiting for it to open up on a federal level so that they can start importing or open up their own domestic you know, uh, operations there. Right. Um, because if you look at a place like California, the population of California is the same as all of Canada. Yeah. And you, you know, you've got a thriving cannabis industry down there, um, but they're restricted in a lot of ways to to being within the state you know you can't you can't expand anything so matt how do they how do they do business in places like california where they're manu- you know producing their own product for the state how does that affect citizens of that state when they're traveling in other parts of the united states well that, that's the that's the point right like it's it's it shouldn't impact them because no one really questions you when you cross a state line uh, like there's no borders between states 
But it's the same sort of concept. You know, it's, it's, if, a, if a federal agent picked someone at random in California, not necessarily a border guard, but just a federal agent, and said, have you ever consumed cannabis? You know, are you going to lie to the federal agent or are you going to, or are you going to admit to it? And then if you admit to it, what are the, you know, there's penalties for, for you're an American and you're consuming federally what is, what is an illegal drug. So, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting situation because what, what should apply to us going down there ought to often apply for what's going on in between states down there. Canadians who smoke, work, or invest in the cannabis industry will be barred from the U.S., says a border protection official in the United States. We've been talking to Matt, a Toronto cannabis lawyer, to get his insight on what is going on. Still, um, I guess, a gray area. Still a lot of smoke in the air. Can't see really what the end result's going to be at this point yet, Matt. I, I think that's right. Thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We just carried a press conference from Toronto, uh, from sorry Hamilton Police Service. Uh, Albert Ivoroni, 50 years old from Ancaster, uh, apparently a real estate agent, uh, has been shot and killed last night. Uh, police are looking at closed circuit TV uh, footage and uh, have determined a silver car was involved. A male pulled up and. Uh, uh, I guess, waited for uh, Mr. Ivoroni and then uh, shot him in his front drive out front his step. Uh, apparently, he was known to police. Apparently, wife and kids were home at the time. And um, at this point, uh, all we know is that he was known to police. Let's bring in Ross McLean, crime specialist, security expert, former Toronto police officer. Ross McLean, security.com to find out more. He is with us. Ross, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's very interesting, obviously, in connection with all the other things that are going on. The uh, the police there indicated that there's certainly going to be some things they're looking at because of the trend that's been going on for the last couple of years in terms of shootings that, that more or less fit into this the structure of this one. Uh, what about relation to the Masatano case? And the police were asked about this during the press conference and, and basically said it's possible but didn't elaborate more. Odd that they would even give out that much information. Yeah, it's sort of interesting that they touched on that uh, to find out what the association, if there is one, what it may or may not be. They're just trying to do a little bit of looking around uh, on the Internet for as, as the name came up to look at it. And certainly uh, it may well be that they're aware that there was some business dealings or some such thing based on what they said, but they're, they're not being very clear about it. You know, one of the things that I'll point out is we have a bit of similarity to some of the other hits that have gone on, and that you've got a, you know, a silver car, I believe they described. Yes. With a with one person who uh, who is waiting at a place, and they they shoot the person when they come out. We've had the silver car, um, you know, used in the other hits that have been going on. So there's certainly some similarities here. Something that I'll say that's a little bit different, though, that makes me wonder about how, uh, you know, how much association there could be is. To have someone, uh, if they're doing a hit like this, Scott, to park the car in the vicinity where it can be seen and then hiding for an extended period of time, as I believe what the police said, uh, waiting for the person, indicates to me that the, the man himself uh, was not very aware or expecting to have some sort of um, attack mm. like this, I would think, because that's a fairly... Um, it's one that could be spotted by someone who was concerned about uh, those sort of things if they were concerned. Well, you know, we've talked about this before, Ross, and, and the police alluded to the fact that they had uh, CCT uh, footage and such. I, I mean, how can you uh, commit this type of crime nowadays and not be seen? I mean, like, it, it just seems that, you know, okay, the, the car came through, did a U-turn, parked, and then the guy hid behind a bush. I mean, you, you know, uh, you would think even the average criminal would know someone's going to see you well it's going to be caught on cctv but the question is is what's being caught sufficient to be able to uh identify somebody you know I, i've seen this uh, quite a bit uh where people will have cctv but the lens or and its ability to capture in the light and where it's aimed it doesn't it's not strong enough to capture identifiable uh, information. I can remember one uh, one commercial place I went to, Scott. They they had the, ca the camera to get people coming out of the underground garage, but at nighttime, when the cars came up, their headlights would shine right into the camera, and you couldn't read a license plate. Yeah. 
So, you know, and not everybody is, of course, thinking that. You're thinking, I'll just have the camera up, that'll be a deterrence and the other thing. So, uh, you know, it's a question of a person is all dressed in black, you know, uh, wearing gloves, they've got a stolen car that they're keeping clean, that, and this sort of thing. Uh, it certainly limits the ability to identify who the shooter may be. But, I mean, Hamilton's pretty good at running stuff down, but we'll have to see what they've got. What do we know about this man, Albert Ivoroni? Uh, police said that he was known to police, although not necessarily involved directly in organized crime. What does that mean? Uh, don't know. I, I mean, I can't speak to him specifically, but I know there there certainly are cases in the past where certainly if you're in the mob and you've got money, one of the things you like to put your money into is real estate. Uh, you know, buy places, get zoning changed and all these sort of things. I'm not saying he was involved in that. I'm just saying in general. It's something that the mob would do. They get involved in real estate. Uh, obviously, the construction industry, the unions, uh, the, the whole thing follows through that way, right? So there's a possibility maybe they're suggesting that there's something there. Although they'll have to look into the background and find out what the reason is for this. I mean, obviously, somebody, once again, he was either the target or it was a signal and a message. Uh the police are going to have to look into that and try and find out what connect the dots. It certainly appears, though, that police have identified this as an organized crime hit and that there's no danger to anyone else. It certainly seems that way by the way they're presenting it. I mean, they're not out and out saying saying that, but that's certainly the uh, the feeling that they're giving. But, you know, when I say connect the dots on this, it's it's almost literally. I was looking at the uh, all the mob-related hits that went on up our way here in York Region up in the Woodbridge area, and there's actually, you can actually find online an interactive map that shows where they all are and how they happen. Mm. There's a big stretch of about seven, eight, or nine uh, shootings, uh, woundings, bombings, and arsons that went on that were all sort of related. And there was some discussion about a person who was shot uh, in York Region. The woman actually died. The man just got hit in the arm. And apparently he was the target, not the woman. And uh, he was the son of a guy who was involved with the mob who was just convicted. Uh, last year of bringing in cocaine. Uh, so, you know, there's always drugs and there's money behind uh, a lot of what the mob's doing. Uh, it appears that there seems to be more activity of late, as you said, in the region you were talking about in York Region and, you know, especially here in the Hamilton area. Why does there appear to be more activity? Usually these people try to lay low. Well, you know, this 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 guy here, and we're not saying he's associated, we don't know, but the police are going to be looking at it. His age is around 50. You look at uh, Musitano's age, in around the same age. Uh, the guy who was shot at in New York region, once again, a younger guy. So what you're seeing is really the sons, the, the second generation of uh, the old-time mobsters who are getting you know, quite old, some of them dying naturally, other than others not so naturally. Uh, they're out, and uh, perhaps they're trying to either make deals or take territory over or pay deals back. I mean, I, I can't really say as to what the motive may be here. Uh, is this a sign of more to come? Because, the, again, the, there seems to be an ongoing issue here. Well, you have to protect what you have to protect. And if you're, in the, if you're involved heavily uh, in the drug buzz business, we don't know that that's what's here. But if you're involved heavily in the drug business, that's where the guns follow. There's lots of money. There's lots of cash. I mean, it wouldn't be unusual to see some of these, you know, families, you know, going through $10 million over the course of a number of months in, in these drugs. And that's real cash that you don't pay tax on. So people have got a great deal of interest if something gets delivered or doesn't get delivered or uh, someone takes over a client. I mean, uh, it's, it's really something else. Uh, the police said that the uh, wife and kids were in the house, that uh, the call came to police from inside the house. Does that say anything? And, and they also uh, mentioned that the family was cooperating at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know. It just seems like this is not exactly, the, the, the typical sort of hit would be like the Mustatano hit here, right? Where the guy gets his car as he's stepping out of the vehicle, the other car pulls up, the guy jumps out fires the shots. In this case, the guy felt that no one would notice if he parked a car in the street. You know, you know a, a strange car is out on the street in front of your house uh, when you're coming home and he's hiding in bushes where it's you don't know that someone may see you or like you said, get picked up on cameras and someone might call the police and say, hey, there's a guy you know, hiding outside of this house here and you know, you're sitting there with a gun about to commit a murder. Uh, so it, it, that part's a little bit strange, the length of time that the uh, 
the person was on site for doing this. They didn't, I don't think they gave a specific time. I think they just had an extended period. So does that say that possibly this could not be a mob hit, that this is somebody who perhaps didn't have experience in this sort of thing, or, or, or certainly as well thought out as, as an organized crime element would handle this? Well, well, my gut says that this is my gut. I don't know, right? But this is my gut. My gut says that he's not hardcore. That's not to say that uh, the mob does not have people that are associates and affiliates. I mean, uh, that's one of the things that uh, a lot of organized crime does these days is is they take people on almost as franchisees to work with them. I mean, you know, you go back to the, uh, what was it, Goodfellows there with Robert De Niro. He wasn't actually Italian, so they couldn't really put him in, you know, but they don't mind working with them sort of thing. So, um, you know, there's that. It's But it's a real telling thing going on, and I don't know that this legalization of marijuana has a lot to do with it or not. I mean, that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of people wrestling and fighting for billions of dollars of drug sales. Hmm. You know, and who gets to own them? Does the government get to own them or does the, uh, does the gang get to own them? I was just reading an article today that, uh, there's, uh, a couple of years ago, there was a belief that Hell's Angels actually were able to gain access to getting some of those legal grow-up licenses. And they were growing, doing hmm. the grow-ups and yeah. doing, and putting the information out there through the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, putting the information out there to the dispensaries that this is where they could get right. get their stuff. So we'll have to see with that. How do you feel if you're living in Ancaster? <laughs> well, so long as it's targeted, you're not worried. You're not worried. So this isn't something that, that people should be concerned about? Well, I mean, you have to be concerned that someone's being shot, but you don't have to be concerned if it's being targeted and it's within the family sort of thing or whatever. Yeah. It's not quite as uh, it's not quite as quite as desperate. Does this draw attention to organized crime across the country? Well, whenever you get these organized crime uh, hits like this, I mean, Hamilton will be reaching out to all the intelligence agencies that they can, all the different ones. Uh, they'll be reaching out to the RCMP. They'll be looking to see what's on the wire, what they've caught, what they've captured, and uh, if any information has been captured about, in particular, in relation to this guy here. It may be something that fills in a blank, or it may not. Uh, they had. They. I don't believe they said anything in regard to a weapon involved. Uh, would we? Would we? Would there be reason to believe that this person would discard it? Would get rid of it? Would cover their tracks? Well, typically, you don't want to hang on to the weapon because that's going to tie you into the into the crime. So, you know, I mean, you'd be a fool to hang on to the weapon for that. Right. You'd just uh, be a fool. So what are police doing now around this crime scene? Well, they're, they're number one, they're gathering all the forensics. But I, I think where most of the work's going to be taking place is looking at the intelligence wires that they've got and what they're looking at. Are they getting a lot of cooperation from outside, or is this just inside investigative work because no one ever talks? Well, I mean, the people who really know don't talk because then you can end up getting getting shot is the old story. All right, Ross McLean is with us, crime specialist, security expert, former Toronto police officer, RossMcLeanSecurity.com to find out more. Uh, Hamilton Police just holding a press conference in regard to the shooting in Ancaster last night. Uh, Albert Ivoroni, 50 years old, uh, apparently a real estate agent, is dead. Ross, thanks for the time and insight as always. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.